0: Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Now the title of this section is called Living as Children of Light. And uh, April, thank you for bringing us that children's message on the Matthew passage where Jesus tells his disciples, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Now, of course, Jesus is the light of the world, but he was speaking to his disciples when he said that. And he's, getting, he's telling them their vocation, that they were going to represent him. His light in them was going to be the shining light for the world. Now, how is it that people find out about Jesus? It's through us. And it's how we shine for Him. You know, it's worth looking at that, uh, reading that Matthew passage again, just to hear um, what kind of responsibility that means. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people put a uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, uh, I was wondering as we, as April asked the children <coughs> about Jesus, and children, no, no uh, I, I thank you so much for, coming forward and being willing to sit here in front of all of us. And God bless you for that. Uh, But I think about my own childhood and how well did I know Jesus? Probably not very well. If you asked me what Jesus was like, I couldn't necessarily have told you. Maybe I had a few stories I heard, and the older I got, the more stories I heard. But how did I find out who Jesus was like was by watching his servant, his, his followers, the believers in my life. And they were his light for me. They were his salt for me Helped me to get to know what he was like. And what happens to the salt when it stops being like the the original preserver? What happens to the church, which is supposed to be salt in the world, preservative and flavor for the world? when it stops doing that job, when we stop looking like Jesus to the world. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And that's what happens to churches sometimes when they stop doing the job of looking like Jesus to the world. They end up being thrown out. and Because they don't look any different from the world, right? How can the world find out what Jesus is like if it doesn't find it out through us? Now, of course, there are some people who find His Word and discover it. And they put his faith, their faith in Him through that. And they become His disciples by studying the Scripture. And you'll, you'll hear of the, about this around the world. People coming to Christ because somebody gave them a Bible. They started to study it. They put their faith in Him and they started to imitate Him. They started to become like Him in their surroundings. And they started to tell other people the news, the light on a, on a hill. A lamp shining for others around them and and some people were drawn to that because they saw Jesus in them. That's how you figure out who Jesus is for many of us. Seeing him in somebody else. And uh, as we come into this passage in Ephesians, keep that in the back of your mind. Paul is writing here to this young church, believers in this young church, telling them, now, you've got this great salvation, the first part of the letter. And you—you you, here's where you came from. You came out of darkness, but now you have new life through faith in Jesus, through faith in Christ. They used to be dead in sin, following the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit at work, and those who are disobedient. That's chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. And they used to gratify the cravings of the flesh, and follows desires and thoughts. By nature, objects of wrath. Slaves to sin and doomed for destruction. But when they heard about Jesus and put faith in him, God made them alive with Christ through grace. And they became part of spiritual Israel, included in God's promises, became members of the body of Christ. And God's now at work in them, gifting them with many gifts, including the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of each other, we looked at the spiritual and personal gifts last week, how when you put your faith in Jesus and you become part of God's family, that He gives us to each other to encourage and help strengthen each other so we can walk the walk together. they are members together of the body of Christ called to grow and mature and increasing love of God in one another. And all this leads to an entirely new way of living. And that's where we come to Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Remember what Gentile means. It meant a non-Israelite. Somebody who was not part of the people of God. They used to be that. But now, because of faith in Jesus, they've been joined with Israel and the Spirit, and they are not just lost Gentiles anymore. Now they're part of the people of God. And in light of this new life, this new identity, new belonging in the family of God, Paul reminds them they must no longer live like they used to. And he's reminding us of the same thing. Maybe you came out of a sinful past. In fact, every one of us is a sinner, so how could you not? Right? But as a Christian, sometimes we can think, you know what? I um eat of that past darkness, and I'm going to hold on to that and keep living by it, in secret. I won't tell anybody else because if they found out, they'd think ill of me, but I'm not going to let that go. And Paul is saying in no uncertain terms in this passage, you can't keep on living like you were children of darkness if you're followers of Jesus. He uses a formula of repetition several times in this letter to reinforce the point. We've been given new life in Jesus, so we must not keep on living the old way of life of the flesh that leads to death. Check out these verses. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. And, and, and this passage explains how it is that people who don't know God end up living the way they do. in kind of a self-destructive pattern absorbed by their own desires that are overflowing and disordered and eventually lead to destruction. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity one translation says, and they're full of greed. Another says, with a continual lust for more, which is kind of what greed is, right? You always want more. And what Paul's saying is, now you aren't lost Gentiles anymore, you people of God. You're not excluded from the promises anymore. And so you can't keep living like that as if you were. Verse 18, 19. Again, a recap of the beginning of chapter 2, a description of the lost way of life of the Gentiles. Futility of their thinking. You know, so much of how your life goes is based on what you're thinking. What thoughts you let your mind dwell on, what you feed it, right, which can direct the course of your life. Uh, I've got a book in my office, it's called You, you Can't Afford a Negative Thought. It's written by somebody who realized that by negative thinking they were just tunneling into a pit and going down and down. And that they needed to take a, a grip on what their thinking was and and stop that spiral in, into darkness. Your thoughts. Paul says somewhere else, we take captive every thought to make it obedience, Obedient to Christ. And for us today as believers, this is so critical that we learn to take our thoughts captive to the Lord. We identify when a thought is not of God and say, I'm not going to think about that. You know, the devil likes to plant thoughts in our head. That's his job as the tempter. Throw a thought into your head and trying to get you hooked with it. Hey, you might be happier if you tried this. Right? Or you know what, you can give way to that uh, craving you've got just this once. He'll throw temptation at you. And it starts as a thought. And you need to learn to recognize that that thought is not necessarily you. It's the tempter doing his stuff. And then be able to say, okay, if it's got a hook in you, why does it have a hook in you? That's part of what Paul deals with here. Is sometimes we let the enemy get a hook in us because we've lived in obedience, and we, disobedience, we haven't stopped that yet. We haven't repented. And other times we've been so into the flesh and the flesh then gives the devil a greater room to start working in us. And so we need to bring our whole self, including our mind, to Christ. And take captive those thoughts. Put to death the old nature. Put to death the, the tempter's voice in us. Now, he he may keep whispering to you, but there I'll give you a little secret and a key. If you're being tempted by the devil and he just won't shut up, okay? Say, Jesus, I can't deal with this. Save me from it. I'm giving you my defense. Take these thoughts. Now, have any of you ever had a obsessive thoughts about something, and you're kind of stuck there. I mean, that that happens to most of us at some point or another. And at some point, we can call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I need help with that. I'm having trouble with my thoughts. I take them captive in the name of Jesus to make them obedient to you. Now, I've had this experience. I've watched some movie that's less than edifying. Anybody ever do that? And then there's some image in the movie that's disturbing and kind of haunts me. And it's almost like, you know, if you watch something, it can be as disturbing as like if you lived it. And when that happens, there's a solution. Uh, Of course, it would have been smarter not to watch it in the first place, right? And that's (laughs) what the Lord will say. Guard your eyes and guard your mind. But if you fall into that pit, Jesus doesn't want you to stay stuck there. You can ask him, Lord, cleanse my mind. Through the same power that your blood released to cleanse us from sin, cleanse my mind. And I'm just asking you to come in and, and wash my mind clean from those images. Taking those thoughts captive. And he, he will answer that prayer. He'll help you. Now what's the whole point of this? That the Gentiles are in the futility of their thinking, darkened in their understanding. So they're understand- this is talking about understanding of the spiritual realm, understanding of God. They're darkened. They can't really see God or know God or figure out who God is because their thinking is futile. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. They don't know. And why don't they know? Because of the hardening of their heart. Uh, That's a a huge key concept, the hardening of their hearts. Think about Pharaoh in the Old Testament when he held the people of Israel as slaves in Egypt. And when Moses comes to tell him on God's behalf, let them go, he hardened his heart to what he was supposed to do. Like he said, I know what's right, but I'm not going to do it. He hardened his heart. And you read that account of the various judgments that come upon him in Egypt because of his hardening of the heart as God is seeking to prove he's real to Egypt and bring them to the place of judgment for all their centuries of sin against these slaves, but also to release them. And finally, God agrees with him and you read the description it says God hardened his heart first it's Pharaoh hardens his heart then finally God hardens his heart he doesn't let him have any more grace he's leading him to the place of judgment for that great wickedness when we harden our hearts which is so easy to do when we're lost in sin it becomes increasingly difficult for us to figure out who God is now I recall reading the story of John Newton uh, who I've told you this story before but as a, a young man, uh, who had a, a believing mother and a father who was a sea captain, and his father gone a lot, and his mother a believer, and he saw her as a child and looked up to her, and then she died. And around the age of 12, his father, still a sea captain, needing to earn his living, uh, put his son into service as a cabin boy on a ship in the British, uh, British Marine, Merchant Marine. And there, in his anger for God taking his mother and being abandoned basically by his father, he started to harden his heart in that pain. Harden his heart to God and harden his heart to other people. And eventually he himself became part of the slave trade where he was helping kidnap people and living like drunk from day to day, uh, just barely making his responsibility, a scrapper, a fighter, and in the hardness of his heart, becoming really totally wicked. And this is the warning, and this is what happens to people who turn away from God. They can't even figure out who God is anymore because in their ignorance, due to the hardening of their heart, they just can't see Him. They get hard to the presence of God. That's why so many people in our culture, can't believe in God. It's not because God isn't there and He hasn't given evidence of His presence all around them all the time at every minute. The very fact that they exist, that there's anything at all. Constant evidence. That there's love and truth and beauty in the world. Constant evidence. But they can't feel Him. Their hearts are hard because they've given themselves over to anger. To the deceitfulness of sin. To the captivity that then enslaves their minds and puts them into the dark. I'll tell you more about Newton's story in a minute, but that hardness of heart became his characteristic for like two decades of his life. Think about what Jesus said even to the religious leaders of his own time. Now we're talking about physical Israel when Jesus was teaching and some of them came up to him and and asked about uh, divorce and, and remarriage, and remember what Jesus said, Moses gave you permission to divorce your wife because of your hardness of heart and, and and he's not saying that as a compliment to those people. He's calling them out because they've let sin take over in their lives, so that so much that it they let it destroy their relationship with each other inside of marriage. He's calling them out for that. It, And and saying Moses gave you an accommodation for that, but that was not God's will from the beginning. And by implication as a follower of Jesus, that's not his will for you going forward. He wants you to learn to stop being hard-hearted. Okay? So that you learn to forgive each other. In fact, that's a theme of this chapter, a key theme, is letting go of the stuff that leads to hardening of heart and forgiving each other. Learning to live like Jesus. Think about Jesus. What did he do when he met the the woman who was divorced so many times or the woman who was caught in adultery and was headed for the judgment in those days for that sin? What did he do for them? Somebody said it. He forgave them. He had a soft heart towards them. He understood their plight. In fact, he knew this is actually the plight of the human race. To be lost in sin. And so what Paul is doing here, Jesus coming in to be the Savior, is reminding this young church, you used to be like that. As Gentiles, you used to live hard-hearted, given over to your sensual desires, continual lust for more, craving in the dark, hard-hearted, and living in destruction. You heard about Jesus. He saved you from the sin. You can't keep living like that anymore. Now it's time to live for love. Amen? Okay, this is for all of us. This is for all of us. That's uh, why, why God set Paul aside to write these letters, to give us ongoing instruction through the history of the church on how to live. See, the consequence of hardening of heart is loss of sensitivity, loss of moral and relational sensitivity and awareness of others in God. And the result of this loss is enslavement to sensuality, craving for impurity, insatiable, greedy hunger. That's what happened to John Newton. He could never get enough alcohol to fill the pit of pain and darkness in his heart. But he tried. (laughs) He tried. And because of their loss of sensitivity, they don't even know the things they are craving for and doing are great wickedness, like the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, those guys thought, hey, we're doing whatever we want. Lot tries to correct them. Who are you to judge us, they say to Lot, if you remember that story. See, that's what happens when you get so dark, so separated from God, so enslaved to sin that you begin to glory in it. Now, you can understand why they are under the wrath of God, by nature, objects of wrath. And that's what Paul says, you used to be like, you young Ephesians. But you gave your life to Christ, and now you're different. You have a different identity, a different call. God has come to cleanse you, your minds, your spirits, even your body. That's why baptism is a physical thing. That sign of being joined to Jesus by faith, we're asked to go and do this concrete physical act of being baptized in water to show that we want to belong to Jesus that we want to be part of his death and resurrection, that we want our old sinful nature to die. And you think about the way John did baptism, at the John the Baptist the first time when he started doing it, it was at the Jordan River. People went under. Right? There's something... I, okay, we're Methodists. We say it doesn't matter how much water you use. You can get sprinkled. You can get dunked. I think there's another method poured on. Right? But there's something powerful about the imagery of going under the water and full dunking because it's a sign that you're dead. you drowned. It's a symbolic metaphor that you died to your old nature. Peter says somewhere, talks about the sprinkling with pure water, so it is okay. If you were not dunked, it's okay. Please hear that. But First step of obedience as Christians is to get baptized in the name of Jesus. And it means being buried with him into his death. That old nature I just talked about with all its corruption, hardening, darkening, wickedness, uh, by nature object of wrath, killed with Jesus on the cross. So that we can get free of it. So this is something God does for us. You 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 can cooperate. You in fact that's what Paul says the other night um Dwight preaching on the righteousness of Christ being clothed, uh, the 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 wedding clothes of believers. Wednesday night, using that parable of the great wedding banquet, he he talked there about putting off the old clothes of the old nature and putting on the new clothes of Christ. And that's what Paul's asking these believers, not asking, telling them, commanding them. This is what your life is supposed to look like. Ephesians four twenty, twenty four 24 continues. No longer the state of these young Christians, that old way. They are new people who have been given a new way of life in Christ. Here's what it says. That, however, that old way of the Gentiles, lost and hardened, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, when John Newton, in 20 years or so in his rebellion and his hardness of heart, he eventually, he had a hard time submitting to authority. One of his besetting sins, you could say. And because of that, he frequently ended up in the stockade. And he would be beaten, he'd be put in the stockade, he sometimes was locked in there with the slaves that he was himself kidnapping. And life got so crummy for him that he started to think, oh, there must be something better. And he started to seek God. But it was only after intense suffering that he became willing to humble himself and start looking. And in that place of starting to seek God, he began to find God. And he found a Bible and he started to read it. He started to learn about what Jesus was really like. And his heart started to change. Now this is all part of the the Wesleyan Methodist revival in England in the 18th century. And he eventually became put his faith in Jesus returned and quit the the slave trade, renounced it all, became a pastor and became an advisor to William Wilberforce, pushing him to help outlaw slavery in the British Empire. And Wilberforce eventually managed to convince the British Parliament to do that around 1830-ish. All because the way God was working to redeem somebody to take them out of the darkness make them like Christ so they start looking like Jesus and acting like him and influencing the whole world you're the light of the world and you don't put a light underneath a basket it's meant to be shown so everybody can see it you folks who know Jesus you are not meant to be hiding away inside your house so nobody ever hears about Jesus because they never see you Can I hear an amen <laughs> If you know Jesus and you start to become like him, God wants people to see you. He wants them to see your good deeds so they see, oh my gosh, God's at work in the church. He's at work in this person. Maybe he can be at work in me. Maybe he can save me out of my hardness of heart and my wickedness and, and the craving that I'm a slave to and I'm so sick of because it's killing me. You see, in Christ, we are to put off the old lost self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and being made new in the attitude of our minds. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I said before, your thoughts and mind are the gateway to so much about what you do and what happens to you. Our minds need to be renewed daily. And this we do by thanking the thoughts of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's one of the reasons that every year I invite you all to get into a Bible reading plan. Because where can you be guaranteed to think the thoughts of God in the world? Where else? By reading his word. By reading what he gave the apostles and prophets to pass on to us. So if we want to learn to think the thoughts of God, there's no substitute. You can't even figure out what they are on your own wisdom. Because God has decided in human wisdom, we're not smart enough to find him, the immortal, eternal God. And should that be a surprise? Can we comprehend the one who put the laws of creation into place and made everything from nothing? We never really will be able to get our heads around his immense power and glory. Uh, but he's given us enough to know him and to know that he loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. And this we find out by studying his word. John Newton, as he started to read the Bible, talking to God, convicted of sin, confessing his wickedness, getting getting it out of himself, starting to think differently, forgiving the people who had hurt him, letting go of the burdens of the past, and becoming light instead of darkness. And that is the destiny, brothers and sisters, that God has for every one of us who's in Christ. Amen? So God gives us a new self when we put our faith in Jesus, and this is saying start living into that new self, because the old self is dead. Ephesians 4, 25-32 begins the list a concrete application of these truths. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. See that total reversal? From using and taking advantage of others to being responsible and helping others. There Four themes in these little verses that are guidelines for us as believers, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Why? Because of our membership in one body, we're connected to each other, so lying to each other is like lying to ourselves. It's like saying, You know what there there's a wound there, but I'm going to pretend it's not there. I just hope it goes away. Well, what happens when you neglect the wound? It gets infected. That's right. Pretty soon you're dealing with a far worse problem than just the wound. Speaking the truth to each other in love is part of how we help each other. You know, if somebody's angry with me as a pastor and because I've hurt them somehow uh, or failed them somehow and they don't tell me the truth about that but they go tell you Right, how is that going to help the body stay united, or if you have a, a sibling you're angry with, okay? it's the same thing, and you don't go and talk to that sibling because they stepped on your toes and it hurt, then you decide to just grit your teeth and swallow it then have are you reconciled? Is harmony restored between you? No. So we need to talk through stuff. When somebody's stepping on our toes, and tell them, you're stepping on my toes. It hurts. Please step off. It's okay to do that. Now, uh, Second, so we'll, we'll talk more about lying, but part of this whole thing about speaking the truth to each other, and it's not just like correction he's talking about here, but encouragement. You know, sometimes what we need to hear is, you're forgiven. You're redeemed. Uh, God sees your pain. And Jesus is gonna bear that for you. Will you give it to him? Let me help you. Tell me your burden. Let me carry it for you. Because that's part of what God does in the body. He gives us each other to carry each other's burdens, Telling the truth to each other in love. What do you do with your anger? Now this is, Huge, what Paul says, don't sin in your anger, which means it's possible to be angry without sinning. You need to hear that. You need to know that so that you do not utterly suppress an important part of your feelings. There's a time and a place for anger, for the anger of righteous indignation, such as when Jesus cleansed the temple from those who were defiling it, or when he was angry at the religious leaders for the hardness of heart to oppose his healing people. But Paul immediately warns, don't let the sun go down on it. Don't hold on to it. And that includes the warning, don't give the devil a foothold. And sure enough, holding on to anger is one of those things that gives the devil a foothold in our lives. So there's kind of a balance here we need to figure out to be healthy and holy in this area. If you get treated unjustly, or you see an injustice, there's a piece of us that ought to naturally respond to that with righteous indignation, which is a type of anger, right? And if we just suppress that, then we're not confronting it to deal with it. Now, think about Paul, who who's trying to witness to the Roman proconsul, and there's a a Jewish false prophet there, Elemus, the, the, who's every time Paul's telling him something about the gospel. Elemis whispers in his ears, no, no, that's not true. No, you don't have to repent. No, no, Jesus is nobody. And Paul gets angry because of the lies Elemis is telling to the proconsul. And Paul says, you son, I'm going to paraphrase loosely here. You child of the devil, you are full of nothing but evil and wickedness. And so you're going to be blinded for a time and to show God's judgment on you. That you stop what you're doing. And that's what happened. Immediately, darkness comes over Elimus, and he stops advising the proconsul with lies and, and whispers that are oh, really the devil coming through him because Paul confronted him. Somebody who was stopping the gospel going forward, Paul confronted him. There's a time to confront and let that edge of anger come out. And I remember, this is really key. As a little boy, I thought if you were a Christian, you couldn't get angry because that wasn't a nice thing to do. And so I swallowed all the anger in my childhood and I just kind of stuffed it down. But that doesn't actually make anger for having your toes stepped on go away. Swallowing. It. And it was a revelation to me at some point in my young 20s when I started to follow Jesus and I read, oh my gosh, Jesus got angry. And he's righteous. And God used that to do something good, it's okay if I get angry. Now, that was liberating to know that there was a time when I could be angry and deal with things that I needed to deal with, to tell people not just get off of my toes, but stop stepping on such and so's toes, right? But the flip side of this is anger can become its own lord in your life. And we can end up hurting those around us, Because we let it become out of bounds in excessive measure. That's why Paul warns immediately, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't hold on to it. If you've got something you need to tell somebody about, something that's making you angry because you're being hurt, tell them. But let go of the anger. Don't hold on to it because you know what happens when you swallow anger? It starts to eat you up. Have you ever met someone who's perennially angry who, or have you ever wrestled with it yourself? Anger that comes when not wanted and like acid destroys your relationships with others, hurts those around you, makes you sick because of the vitriolic chemicals it releases in your body. That's what anger will do. It's like poison when we swallow it, when we hold on to it. Don't let it go. Let it go before the day ends. That's how important it is to get rid of it. You know, we're going to see in the next verse that God does not want us stewing in anger or enslaved to it or using it to bully our way through life, to protect ourselves, to get what we want or be on top of others. That's wicked anger. And that's why shortly after this, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. That's not of God. So much of our anger is not of God. And I have to confess this. As a young man thinking it was okay to be angry, sometimes I let it go out of bounds. And I deeply regret looking back on those times in my life when I let my anger get the best of me because I thought, it's okay to be angry. And I used that as an excuse, and it hurt people around me. Now, it's not a good thing. Now, that's what Paul is saying here. There's a time for anger. There's a time when it is appropriate to respond to injustice. But for the most part, a lot of our anger is unrighteous and it's selfish and we use it to bully our way through life. To keep people from getting close to us, to make sure we get our way and our will, and it hurts those around us. And that kind of anger, my brothers and sisters, is a sin. And we need to get rid of that. And even righteous anger, if we hold on to it, that becomes a sin. Uh, This is so important. This is so important for us to stay united with each other, right? If you get angry with me because I've failed you somehow, and you don't either A, come and talk to me about it, or B, decide to let it go because it's not that big of a deal, then we're going to be alienated. Just as that would happen between husbands and wives, and worse than that, there will begin a hardening of heart, of relationship within the body, Right? Just as Jesus says about marriage, you should not let hardness of heart take place in you so it leads you to the place of divorce. That should not be happening. right? It's time to let our hearts become softened, to forgive each other, to let go of the things that alienate uh, us from each other. And marriage is a metaphor that Paul uses in this book to stand for the way we're supposed to relate to each other as members of the body of Christ connected to Jesus. Not giving way to hardness of heart. Forgiving each other. Letting things go. Keeping our hearts tender towards each other. Letting love flow towards each other. Encouraging each other. So, all we see here, this is the kind of the spirit of anger is the thing God wants us to repent of. All right, give your anger to Jesus. You know, for some of us, it actually becomes like a spirit, an evil spirit. Well, I can't help get angry. Not the stop sign, and guy won't move in front of me. Nobody ever experiences that here. Eh? <laughs> Instead of bless him. So now. This next section is a whole nother sermon. So we'll wait on that. We really need to unpack the whole business about getting rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. Being kind and compassionate and forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. We'll, we'll come to that next time. But I just want us to take a little spiritual inventory here. Each of us. How are you doing with this list? What part of the old self needs to be dragged to the cross and put to death? You need to be made new in Christ. Would you like to get off the squirrel wheel of the old nature? Trapped in hardness of heart so you can love purely. You, can have, you know what a hard heart is? It's not just a heart that can't give love. It's a heart that can't receive it. It's a heart that's protected so it doesn't get hurt again, right? But that heart ends up lonely and cut off and in the dark. And that's not what God wants for us. It says about the new covenant that he came to give us new hearts in Jesus. Hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. Hearts that can feel. Hearts that can empathize with others, weep with them when they're in pain. Laugh with them and rejoice with them when, when they're rejoicing. Hearts that are open to God and vessels of His love to throw flow through us to others. That's what God has for us in the new covenant. Would you like that? Would you like your heart to become loveless? To be made new in Christ? You can ask Him today, come in, Lord, I want You. I want to get over this old... Stone heart I've got that I've been protecting myself from getting hurt but really from the risk of love save me give me a new heart and he'll start that working and if you're in Christ how are you doing with your homework of growing up in love put off the old put on the new in Christ you're the salt of the earth And you're the light of the world. And God does not intend you to lose your saltiness. He doesn't intend your light to be hidden under a basket. He wants people to see what Jesus is like and come to know Him because of what He's doing in you and me. And Jesus is willing to do that work. But we have our part. Put off the old. Put on the new. This is the Word of the Lord for the people of God. Amen? Let's take a little bit of time for prayer. Cindy, would you play for us a little while? We're just going to take some time to search our hearts. Maybe you need to ask God to work in you in some way. and We just want to give some space for that right now. As Cindy plays, if you want to pray where you're at, have an attitude of prayer and and quietness. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. And after a little while, we'll stand together and sing Living for Jesus. Let's be in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for going to the cross for us to save us out of that lost and dead state. And when we were yet sinners, You proved Your love for us by coming into the world and dying in our place. You call all people everywhere to repent and believe in You. To turn from their old ways and their futile thinking. And receive the pure Word of God. Made new in the attitude of their mind. Empowered by Your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, Father God, we ask You to just pour out Your Spirit on us as we're talking to You. Illuminate us, Lord. Heal us where we have been wounded. Lord, maybe by somebody else's overflowing anger. Or maybe by our own in the way we responded to life. Or some other piece of, of that darkness that we've embraced and become slaves to heal us set us free we renounce all that today we ask you lord to fill us with your love and work in us for your mercy's sake thank you lord thank you for listening to igniting your faith let god's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet igniting your faith is copyrighted and published by dr chris fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.